Thank you, Nikki. Love your name. It's fantastic. Probably the best one out there. Uh, good morning, everyone. Really nice to be with you. Good morning to you online as well. And, uh, and yeah, as Andrew said, this is the next in our um, series. We're, we're basically in the book of Acts. Uh, that's the, sort of the story of the early church, just after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then the giving of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and Acts, the book of Acts in the New Testament, tells the story of the early church. And it's an amazing, amazing story. Before we get there, I wonder if I can invite you to travel back just about 12 months or so uh, to what it was like when we were just getting into the flow of lockdown one. And just think about how you were feeling in lockdown one, maybe this time 12 months ago, and what things were like in your communities and, and in our nation right then. I think if we look back at that time, actually I think we'll remember our nation and many other nations around the world was actually pretty awesome in many, many ways. There was something about our communities that, that seemed bonded together. There was something that was uniting us. There was kindness and concern and compassion in so many different expressions all around. Volunteering skyrocketed across our nation. Millions of people volunteered who've never volunteered uh, before for their communities. Just ordinary people caring for, for others. And it was pretty awesome. I don't know if you felt that. Um, yesterday was the 8th of May, VE Day. And last year... VE Day was the 75th anniversary of the Victory in Europe Day. And there were parties, well, not really parties, but there was an expression of celebration the best we could do last year. People put their chairs and tables outside their houses, and they kind of waved across the street. And, and there was something special. And we felt, what did we feel? We, we felt together. We felt like we loved each other. And, and there was something Super special. I don't know if you remember Thursday evenings this time last year. What did we do Thursday evenings, 8 o'clock, every Thursday? We would come out our front doors and we would be like, yay, clap, bang, the saucepans. Um, and uh, we were clapping and cheering, saying thank you as a united expression for primarily, firstly, for the NHS uh, staff and workers and then for all sorts of other key workers and, and frankly, just general heroes who stepped up in this crazy, crazy time. It was so special, wasn't it? it was, um, there was a sense of us being together, a, a unity. We were like drawn together by uh, a common enemy, the enemy of coronavirus. Now, sadly, most commentators today, most editorials you read in the papers or, or on your news feed, would say that that moment has largely passed that we're gradually easing back into our own busy and self-absorbed worlds. That's, that's where most people uh, in, in the, sort of the press are, are saying, and, and that's sad. Our, our news feeds are full of stories of a fractured society that, that we live in. And, and from that moment of like, yeah, that was amazing, to some of the reality moments is, is pretty tough. Over the last 12 months, there have been some particular tragedies across the world that have, that have rocked us, and they've rightly dominated our news feeds, our news channels, like George Floyd's murder. And actually, that then became a catalyst for a movement that is calling out inequality and injustice along racial lines. 
And then in this country, just, just a couple of months ago, was it in March, the kidnap and then murder of, of Sarah Everard. Uh, and actually, she was kidnapped just, just um, a few hundred meters from where I used to live in London. Uh, and that has, has, in a sense, ignited a storm of, of voice from many women, tens of thousands of women across our nation, saying they too have felt unsafe on our streets, in our communities. And it's, it's not okay, not okay at all. Fractured societies, we do have a fractured society we live in. But actually, fractured societies, fractured communities, they are not new. They've been like this almost since the beginning of time. It's part and parcel, in a sense, of, of fallen humanity. And that doesn't mean we don't address it and do everything we can to repair and adjust and change. We do. But it has been part of humanity pretty much since the beginning. There's this pursuit of, of power or wealth or the unconscious belief that some people are superior to other people for whatever reason, whether it's race or gender or, or you name the difference. There's this, somehow, this unconscious belief of superiority. I, I think it's so interesting that even in the last few minutes, I've, I've mentioned examples of both extraordinary good and shocking bad, beautiful moments and terrible moments, even in the last 12 months, and, and no doubt even within the communities that, that we live in. And, and this kind of juxtaposition of, of kind of like good and bad in humanity is not just out there. It, it's also right here. Right here in my, in my heart. Good and bad. In your heart. Good and, and bad as well. There, there is good in every one of us. There's good in every one of you because you are made in the image of a good God. But there's darkness here too. I don't know if you're aware of it, but there is darkness here. And, and it leads me to the old-fashioned word, I suppose, is, is sin. We don't use that word apart from when we're in church most of the time. But it does. It leads me to sin. It leads me to hurt other people. It leads me to be unkind and selfish and proud and prejudiced and greedy and fearful and exclusive, and so on, and so on, and so on. And, and isn't it so strange, so weird? How do these two kind of things coexist? In the early 1900s, uh, the Times newspaper, the Times of London, it said that they wrote out various authors, and they invited those authors to reply to this question, what is wrong with the world today? Uh, and famously, G.K. Chesterton, famous author, he wrote back, and this was his reply. Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. What is wrong with the world today? I am. If we now rewind about 2,000 years, and if we just look at a different culture, the culture of Jesus in the Middle East, the culture of the apostles at the time. Do you know, we're going to find a similar brokenness between people groups, hatred among communities, hatred here that actually lasted centuries. People under oppression, people believing that somehow they're superior to other people. And it's in this context 
we're going to meet a man called Cornelius. If you've got a Bible, would you open to Acts chapter 10? The book of Acts, early in the New Testament, we get the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then it's the book of Acts. And uh, why don't you open to Acts chapter 10, if you can. And we meet Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion. That's part of the occupying force in Israel, the Romans, the Roman Empire. And he's also a Gentile. Okay, now that, that term Gentile, that generally means anyone who's not a Jew. You had the Jews and then everyone else. They were the, the Gentiles. But the thing is, the Jews historically hated the Gentiles. And, and they had reasons, but, but most of them couldn't even remember the reasons. And it just became a real hatred towards the, the Gentiles. They considered them unclean. They considered them impure. They wanted nothing to do with them. They weren't allowed to eat with them. They weren't allowed to stay with them. They weren't allowed to associate with them. So here in Acts 10, we've got Cornelius. Have a little glance down at verse 2. And yet Cornelius, he's described as being devout and God-fearing and prayerful and generous. And, and God sees this in him. And God now orchestrates a meeting between Cornelius the Gentile and Peter, a Jew. And Peter was the sort of the Jew who was following Jesus. Peter was the leader of this new movement of Jesus' followers. Okay, so this is, this is the kind of the context we're in. Just remember, Peter being a Jew, he would not have wanted to spend any time with Cornelius. He, his, his whole kind of default would have been like, no, he's a Gentile. I won't talk to him. I won't listen to him. I won't stay with him. I won't associate with him. This is his prejudice, cultural prejudice. This is where it came from. And, and so just before the meeting, God has to break into Peter's world. And uh, Peter's up praying. He's on the roof. That's, that was his habit at the time. And he's just spending a bit of time with God. And God appears to him in a vision. And it's a bit of a funky vision. And we're not going to look at the vision today. But basically God is saying to him, I've sent some people to come and get you. And you're going to spend time with this guy called Cornelius. And in verse 20, God says, or through the angel, God says, don't hesitate to go with them. I have sent them. Okay, now we're going to join the story at uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 23. So if you're following it, look down at verse 23. And it says this. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. These are the men who've come to collect him. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa, that's where Peter was, went along. The following day, they arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Let's jump on to verse 27. Peter goes inside. He found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you're well aware it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? So this is now Cornelius in the next section. Cornelius explains to Peter the vision that Cornelius had talking with the angel and being told to send for this guy called Peter. And then we're going to pick it up again at verse 34, Acts 10, 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is 
that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And Peter goes on to tell them how Jesus, Lord of all, that's how, how Peter describes him, Jesus, Lord of all, he lived among us, he was killed, raised from the dead, seen by Peter and plenty of others. And then in verse 43, he says that anyone who believes in him, in Jesus, receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the Jewish believers were astonished because of their prejudice. Do you remember? They're like, well, no, they can't become believers and followers of Jesus because they're Gentiles. The Jewish believers, seeing what had happened, were astonished. Right before their eyes was the evidence that God had fully accepted the Gentiles. It's an incredible story. I've done so much of like summarizing, condensing it. Do read Acts 10 uh, at your leisure at some stage. You know, we, we do a pretty good job of putting up barriers, don't we, throughout our lives in lots of different ways. A lot of it is unconscious as well, unconsciously putting up barriers between us and other people, especially if those people are, are different from us in some way. Especially, perhaps, uh, if, if they're from a different culture in, in some way. And, and maybe we don't understand. And, and so often, and again, this is unconscious, our, our lack of understanding of, of someone's background, someone's culture, maybe their race, maybe their history, our lack of understanding so often becomes fear. Because we don't understand it. And fear can so easily become hatred. You're probably aware of the word xenophobia. It's in the English language. Xenophobia used to mean, or originally became, um, it means the, the fear of strangers. Xenos is kind of ancient Greek, Greek word for, for stranger. But, but we know the word xenophobia as much more a hatred of foreigners, don't we? But phobia is fear. If, if, if it's arachnophobia you might suffer from, that's a fear of arachnids. Spiders. If it's claustrophobia, it's a fear of claustro. I don't know what claustro means. Uh, but it's the fear of kind of being in an, in an enclosed space and not being able to get out. Phobia is a fear, but somehow on this word, xenophobia, the fear part of it has actually translated in the English language to a dislike towards, a prejudice against, a hatred towards. Isn't that interesting? It's the darkness of humanity. It's like, because I don't understand, I will maybe, even if I won't admit it, there's something fearful, and, and therefore there's a, we almost want to suppress or oppress something that we, we don't understand. Today, I believe God is inviting us to weigh up how we view other people against how he views other people. How... how how do we see people against how he sees people? I think that's, that's the invitation for us today. Uh, and, and I think we should invite him, Lord, shine a light in here, even the bits I don't want to see, and, and reveal to me, expose to me, if there are like hidden thoughts, hidden attitudes that, that are just adding to this, this kind of sense of whatever it might be, superiority or just I just don't want to engage in that other. Let's ask God to show us his 
extraordinary love for all people and that we might catch that and engage in that. And actually the point, I believe, of of Acts chapter 10, I think what God is trying to say to us today is he wants us to see his extraordinary, inclusive love for every single person out there. Every single person, maybe who's even tuning in and is online. God's extraordinary love for you. God's extraordinary love for every one of you in this room. I think that's, that's what I think he wants to show us today. Do you know, it was, it was love that led God to create the world and put mankind in it. It was love that endowed us with free will so that we could love, that we could choose to love. After the fall, when humanity rebelled against God and said, actually, I want to be God, it was love that sent Jesus down to live among us, and it was love that took him to the cross. So that, in Peter's words, so that anyone who believes in him might receive forgiveness of sins through his name. They were Peter's words in in our passage. And forgiveness is so important because forgiveness enables relationship. You don't get relationship where there's a, a lack of forgiveness. Think of a healthy relationship and you know there's, there's not anything held, nothing that is unforgiven in a healthy relationship. We know that. I had um, uh, two tearful moments this, this last week uh, where, I, where I properly like, teared up. Uh, in fact, I didn't just tear up, the tears then came down as well. And, and, and I, I bawled uh, on a couple of times. Um, one was um, when a friend of mine sent me a video um, of his son's 21st birthday. I'm going to put a little picture up of, um, this is probably my, my, my best mate. Um, uh, his guy called Brett lives in Southern Africa, and the lad next to him is Ezra, who very recently turned 21. And uh, they, they sent me this 35-minute video uh, of, of the end of his 21st birthday, where they all kind of gathered around in the room, and family and friends, and they had a little speeches moment. Uh, and in the speeches moment, um, I was like, I'm not going to go through 35 minutes of these random speeches. I did every minute of it. And these speeches were absolutely gobsmacking. They, they, they left me undone. Um, and basically, what we heard, not only from Ezra himself, but also from all of his friends, loads of really cool guys, and his family, we heard about Ezra's extraordinary love for Jesus and Jesus' extraordinary love for him. And that's what they wanted to speak about. This, this guy is, is incredibly capable, hugely gifted, uh, very successful in lots of different ways. But the thing they just went on about was his passion for Jesus. The thing that mattered, the only thing, frankly, that mattered to pretty much everyone in the room was his faith in Jesus. And the bit that totally ruined me was when his dad came over and and Ezra said, Dad, I want to thank you for teaching me how to honor God. (laughs) You can see I was in a mess. So so Brett and I go back a long way. We used to go out for, when I lived in Africa, we used to go out for meals every couple of weeks and we'd frequently be in tears about how our children were just beginning to 
discover life, discover Jesus, things like that. But, but that moment, surely no other, nothing else matters to that man as a father than hearing those words from his son. Uh, and friends, this is what matters, that, that people discover the love of God and respond to it. So the other moment this, this last week that, that wrecked me as well, um, I, I, was, I was watching a, a worship uh, video on YouTube, and you know how YouTube um, just auto-plays, auto-loads a new video after the one you've just finished? Uh, and so this video, I hadn't, I hadn't got around to pressing pause, this new video loaded up, and this video just showed dozens of baptisms uh, around the world. Some kind of music track was on the background, and it was just people getting baptized in loads of different scenarios. Some were in basically buckets, some were in lakes, some were in church buildings. And I just started watching, uh, and then I was captivated by their faces, by their expressions. There were a few who were like, way, great. There were others who were just in tears, but they were like beautiful tears. Um, and and there, there was just extraordinary peace. It, it was like these people had, had come home all over the world in these different ways. And, and again, there was one that stood out for me. I think it was like a, an 18-year-old lad something like that. And, and just as he came out of the water, he turned to, I'm guessing it was his grandfather, um, and he just embraced his grandfather with an embrace and a face and expression that just said, thank you. Thank you. And I, I can just tell that grandfather would have been praying for him and guiding him and introducing him throughout his life to the love that God had for that kid, that, that love that he has for you, that love that he has for every single person. I, I don't know, you, you might be here and you might be kind of new to all this. You might be like, what's this guy going on about? You might be joining us online and thinking, what is going on? Do, do you know God loves you? Nothing else matters. This is the first building block that we need to put in place. God knows you, knows everything about you, all the good and the dark stuff here, and he loves you with, with a love that will never run out. And he's just inviting you. He's, he's like this extraordinary host, just saying, come, come, come. Now, now you, you might be thinking, well, it's fine for other people, but it's not fine for me. You might think, no, you're somehow disqualified, or, or you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. God knows he still loves you. He loves you to the point that he wants you in. He wants you to come close. I want to just pretty much end with a reminder of a story that many of you will know. And it's a story that Jesus told, and it's known as the prodigal son. And the whole reason Jesus told it was just to give us a picture of the father's heart. And so the story is that there's this dad, he's got two sons, and one of them pretty much stays at home and pretty much does the right thing most of the time. Most of the time. But one of the sons legs it, basically takes as much money as he can from his dad, and he just goes. He's like, I, I don't, I don't want to live under your rules with your way. I want to do things my way. And he just goes. And the Bible says he, he just like, lived wild uh, for a while. He squandered all his wealth and... And yeah, hey, maybe he had a great time in some way for a bit. It all goes wrong. 
And at some point later on, there's an amazing sentence in the Bible that says, when he came to his senses, he then realizes he needs to come back. And, and the mind-blowing part of the story is, <laughs> if it was my son, I would probably be there when he's coming back going, you're back, are you? Right. So, told you so. Or, or whatever, all those kind of like inappropriate, unhealthy. But actually, this father... Is, is giving us a picture of, of God. And, and first, the father is looking out. He's longing. He's longing for you to come back if you've gone somewhere out there. And he's looking for the son. He, when he sees the son, he, he runs. Such an undignified thing to do for a Jewish uh, male in those days. And he runs and he just embraces the son. He hugs him before he has the chance to apologize. He just like pulls him in. And he just says, I love you. And then, after a few words, he gives him a ring and puts sandals on his feet and a robe over his shoulders. All of those are very significant. But then he invites the son in and they have a feast. He, he invites him back into the family home. And he's, the son is like the guest of honor. And they're celebrating. They're sitting at the table. You know, when Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven, he describes it in terms of a feast. And God is the ultimate host. Uh, some theologians even kind of describe God's love in terms of hospitality. It's like he invites us in. And he says, just come. Come and belong. Come and eat with us. Come and be who you were made to be in the first place. And it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your race, your gender, or anything like that. Every person created was created in the image of God, has that level of dignity. And God says, come, 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 I love you. I think he's inviting us to see people as he sees them, to love people as he loves them, to welcome people, as he welcomes them. I'm excited next month in June, we're going to really focus about the practicalities of hospitality, what that means in our culture. But, but it starts here, doesn't it, with God, how, how he is the ultimate host, how he's the one that says, come, I'll give everything of me to you. Because of love. Because of love. I, I think we should pray. Would you, would you like to stand? And, uh, James.